0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1st Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We've been considering for some time now the instruction that God gives us in this letter, this first letter from the Apostle Peter. We come now to the next to the last text that we're going to consider. And as we do so, the Lord reminds us that He provides for us. He doesn't leave us to wander on our own each of us seeking instructions, seeking wisdom through ourselves, but rather the Lord provides leaders in our midst. Elders who will guide us and direct us. And it matters how they do so, that the church might be built up and blessed. And it matters too how we respond to them that we might not despise their care, but that we rather might take up the character that they're called to show us and show it also to one another. So that's what we're going to see as we consider these first five verses of 1 Peter 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. And may he truly bless it. Beloved Church of God in Christ Jesus. I had a disturbing conversation this last week with a young adult. Not from our congregation, but a young adult who expressed some sentiments that, that sadly are quite similar to other sentiments that I've heard quite a lot in, the, in recent years because they reflect a worldview that has permeated our culture. It's the worldview, it's the attitude of individualism. Individualism says that I stand alone before God doesn't matter what church I belong to or whether I even belong to a church. What matters is me. What I believe about God. What my relationship is with the Lord. What matters is me and Jesus, period. And if you need the support and the encouragement of a church, if you think that you need to be there every week, that's fine. That's on you. I'll do what's right for me. Individualism. It's... I think, always saturated our culture in some ways. It's, it's always been the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the education that indoctrinates us. But this latest generation has elevated individualism to an epistemology, to the philosophy of truth, claiming individualistically that truth depends upon the individual. So if you feel that a certain practice is morally right well, then that is truth for you. And if I, on the other hand, feel that that same practice is morally wrong and abhorrent, then that is truth for me. And so we have two absolutely competing truth claims that are both regarded by our culture as being true for the individuals that hold them, even though they are diametrically opposed. It all rests on individualism, the worldview that says everything, even the reality of truth, everything is about me. But here's the thing. We're not sufficient on our own. None of us. We weren't designed, we weren't created to live and exist and persist on our own. We can't do it. God didn't make us that way. He made us to be reliant upon others. He didn't give any of us the gifts and the resources that we need. He only gave us a part and he gave to each of us gifts and resources that are needed by others, which we were meant to share. We need others to make up for that which we lack, to support us, to encourage us. We need others or we simply cannot thrive in the way that we were meant to. And that's why God gave his people the church. It is the church that teaches us what God is like. It is the church which holds us accountable when we're tempted to stray. It is the church which restores us after we repent of sin. And it is as the church that we go forth and disciple the nations. Not as individuals, not as lone rangers, but as the church. We need the church. And for the church to function in the way that God intended, the church itself needs leaders who will draw us to know and love and serve Christ. Without godly leaders, the church languishes, thoughtlessly embracing the sins of the culture around it. Without godly leaders, the church drifts, neglecting the spiritual disciplines that would otherwise build us up and mature us. Without godly leaders, the church will inevitably offend the God whom we seek to serve. So we need the church, and the church needs its leaders. And raising up the kind of leaders we need is what the text that we just read aims to do. Here we learn that God leads His church with the selfless character of His Son. That's our theme this morning. God leads the church with the selfless character of His Son. And we see that first of all in the instruction given to the leaders and then in the instruction given to those led. So, looking first of all at the instruction given to the leaders, which which comprises the bulk of this text, we see that he commands the shepherds to exercise the selfless supervision of the chief shepherd. And that's our first point. But notice that Peter doesn't start out talking to shepherds, he talks to the elders. Elders, the men whom God raises up and sets in authority over his people. That's nothing new in the New Testament era. God was leading his people through elders all the way back in the age of Moses. When they were still in Egypt, God sent Moses to go and speak to the elders of the people. And through the elders, he would communicate to the rest of Israel. In the wilderness, God set his spirit on the elders that they might share the work of Moses in leading the people. Elders are the men whom God sets over his people entrusting the church to their care. And Peter speaks to the church as a fellow elder. Now, of course, we know that Peter was an apostle. That's a unique office that belonged to those 12 who were chosen, who walked with Jesus, who heard him speak, who saw his miracles, and who were thereby able to to lay the foundation for the church. So that was a unique office. But as an apostle, Peter also served as an elder. The way he uses that term indicates that he's talking about all of those to whom God entrusts governing authority. Using the terminology of our church order, that would include both the elders and the ministers. And Peter speaks, therefore, as one of them, because an apostle incorporates all of those tasks. Peter commands the elders, the leaders of the church, and he says to them, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Now, it's certainly not uncommon for God to refer to his people as a flock of sheep. The Psalms, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, every one of those books refers to Israel as sheep. We just sang one of those Psalms, Psalm 80. Jesus himself called himself our shepherd. And the people of the church are his sheep. Jesus has gathered each lamb into his flock. They belong to him. He delights in each one. And now Jesus, having ascended into heaven, he entrusts the care of his flock to under-shepherds. Men whom he has raised up out of the flock to care for his sheep. And that's a big job. The shepherd has at least three tasks with regard to the sheep in his care. He must lead them, feed them, and protect them. The elders of the church lead the people of God. That is, they direct them in a way that is good for them. They have to lead them away from the places where they might be harmed and into the places where they can be nourished and fed and built up. They have to keep them gathered together because there's safety in numbers and they have to guide them together to the place of the chief shepherd. So they lead the sheep. They also feed the sheep. If you don't feed sheep, if you don't put good nourishing fodder before them, they can't thrive. And the elders must feed the sheep not with the fodder that we feed to physical sheep, but with the Word of God. They need to feed them with the Word that God has provided that nurtures and nourishes and builds them up. And they also must protect the sheep, knowing that there are many of those in this world who would destroy the people of God. And that they must be protected from them, but also from the enemy that arises from within, the wolves that are wearing sheep's clothing. And the, the shepherds, the elders, must do whatever is necessary in order to protect those lambs that are precious in God's sight. So this is a big job. It's far more than just one shepherd on his own can handle. And so God raises up a plurality of elders. Elders who, who teach exercising the authority of God's Word to instruct the people that they might know who God is and what He has done and how He would have us to live with the gifts that He has entrusted to us. Elders who rule, guiding the church in the way that they should go and restraining them from the way in which they should not go. Only as they work together, teaching and ruling, working together to shepherd the people of God, can they fulfill their task. And they must do so, says Peter, serving as overseers. Now that's an interesting word that's rendered overseers there. It's the the verb episcopane. That's the the word from which the Episcopal Church gets its name. It's often rendered bishops in its noun form. But what's interesting about it, we get the English word scope from that word. It's It's a compound word. Epi, which intensifies the verb, and scopane, which means to see. So a telescope is something you use to see that which is far away. A microscope is something you use to see that which is very small. The way it's used in the Greek is that we're to oversee whatever is described by this verb by carefully watching, carefully attending to it. That means that you brothers who are called to lead, you are, who are elders, you're called to shepherd by carefully watching the flock. That means you don't just stand over here and issue dictates from on high. No, you have to know the people who are entrusted to your care. You have to see what their life is like. You have to know what their struggles involve. You have to know what they're going through. What are their joys? What are their sorrows? What's making them weep? What's making them laugh? How are their families doing? Are the children growing up knowing the Lord? Are they seeing a godly example or are they seeing an ungodly example for six days of the week? What's happening in their schools? Are they learning the true word of God in all of the things that they study or are they learning poison? Worldliness that masquerades as Christianity. You elders, if you are to shepherd in the way that you must shepherd, in the way that you're called to, you must be watching the sheep. Just as a good and faithful shepherd, he's not just standing over here reading a book while the sheep graze. No, no. He's inspecting those sheep. He's constantly counting to make sure that none are straying. He's inspecting them, looking over them, seeing how they're acting to see if maybe they're suffering from parasites or from illnesses. Maybe they need medical treatment. Maybe one is limping or or struggling and needs some intervention. If he doesn't do that, the flock will be harmed. And some of them will wander off to their own detriment, their own pain. It's only if he carefully attends to them that the flock will really thrive. And so too the flock of the Lord. It's only if the elders carefully attend to them. We've just started into a new family visiting season, haven't we? And sometimes we kind of are tempted to shrug and say, oh yeah, it's that again. Like it's just a a thing we've got to go through. But it's not you see, unless the elders attend to the flock, unless, unless you brothers are asking careful questions and showing love for the sheep and, and seeking to, to understand the life that they're living, well, we as a whole can't minister to the church as we must. I can't preach to them according to the needs that they have. Unless the elders understand what those needs are and convey that to me. And we're going to talk about how the people of God need to respond to their elders. But but just a preview, you need to be open with them. You need to be honest about the struggles that you have, about about the needs that you have. Because if you hide them, then they can't be treated. But brothers, you need to be asking the hard questions. You need to be uh, digging deep. And you need to be doing so in love. You know, a sheep that perceives his shepherd to be harsh, well, he's going to shy away from him. He's not going to allow that shepherd close enough to actually see the things that hurt, to actually see the needs that exist. So you need to so love those sheep that they welcome you with open arms, that they're eager to run up to you and talk to you and, and express what's on their mind and on their heart. Brothers, evaluate. Are you doing that which you're called to do? Are you examining carefully the sheep? Are you seeking to to protect them from that which harms? Are you seeking to uh, lead them in the way that they should go? Are you striving in all things to ensure that they are fed with God's word? When you show up at the hospital, are you showing up with a, a scripture passage that will bring great comfort that you've carefully studied? When you show up for a family visit, are you coming not just to visit, not just to to shoot the breeze a bit, but are you coming with a word from God that will build up and strengthen those people, those sheep that God so loves? You must. Because unless you shepherd them, unless you oversee them in the way that, that God commands you, they will languish, they will They will perish. It's a hard job. It's a hard job, and therefore there is a temptation to not want to serve. And so Peter warns that the elders must shepherd the sheep not by compulsion, but willingly. By compulsion. Kids, that means by force. Sometimes... The men are are tempted to think that they have no choice but to serve and they don't want to serve and therefore they get upset about it and they get bitter about it. And he says we must not do that. We must not do that first of all because when we do that we betray an understanding of the office that indicates that it's not a privilege that it's a hard duty that we don't want to do, that it's a, a, a drain on my time that I would rather avoid. But when we do that, when we, when we have that attitude, brothers, and, and we all are tempted to that attitude at times. We've got such busy lives, such busy families, so many things going on in our lives, and we know that it's hard to serve as overseers of the church, and so we're tempted to do anything we can to get out of it. We've even heard the conversations here. Hey, you know, if you just stop coming for the evening service, they'll, they'll disqualify you. Oh, well, I just tell them I, I won't serve. You can nominate me, but I won't. But brothers, that's, that's a sinful attitude. That says, I, just, I don't want to be burdened. I don't want the extra thing on my plate. Now we need to make sure as men that we're caring for our families first of all. That is absolutely true. And that means that we who already are serving need to be careful not to nominate men to serve who already are overburdened. They're already serving on a school board. They're already working too many hours. Their kids don't see them nearly enough. We shouldn't nominate those men for service. And if that means that we don't have you know, eight men for four vacancies, well so be it. But at the same time, brothers, we need to recognize that when you're nominated for office, that means that, that those whom God has set over the church have seen in you the character of Christ, have seen in you the character of a shepherd. And they've seen that because God has led them to see that. And so it's not a burden. It is an honor to be able to serve. And perhaps you're not willing to serve because you think, I'm not equipped for that. I'm not holy enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not mature enough. But we need to recognize that if God puts us in that role, it is God who put us there and it is God who will equip us for the task before us. Because none of us, none of the men in this room are in and of themselves suited for the office of elder. None of us. But God equips us. God provides for us. God enables us to do the work to which we are called. So we must serve willingly, recognizing that it is God who calls. It is God who puts us in that office. It is God who equips and uses us. Because if we were to do it on our own strength, we would fail every last time. So we do so willingly. And then also, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. God doesn't want people to serve the church for profit. That would make them mercenaries, not shepherds. They would be thieves aiming to to rob the temple of God. And God condemns that, especially in Ezekiel 34. He calls them shepherds who feed upon the sheep. Now understand, however, it is not wrong for the elders of the church to be compensated. In fact, 1 Timothy Timothy 5 talks about exactly that and, and indicates that it's something we should consider. 1 Corinthians 9 indicates that it is right for those who labor among the church to be compensated by the church for that labor. Matthew 10, Jesus says that those who minister in his name should be cared for by those who, whom they minister to. However, it is shameful to serve the church in that way when, when your motive is profit, when you do it only to, for what you get out of it. Now that could run the gamut from those who serve in office in order to give them opportunity to steal from the church, or when someone seeks to be a minister so that they can do as little as possible and gain as much as possible, but also when someone, for instance, uses his influence as an office bearer to get special favors, special privileges, including excessive honor. Those acts are mercenary. If we're doing it because of the honor we receive, because of the profit we receive, because of the privilege we receive, we are being mercenary. We're doing the job not in order to serve God, not out of faith, but out of a desire for what's in it for me. That's individualism. Instead of serving for what's in it for me, we should serve eagerly. Counting it a privilege, to serve the people of God, recognizing that it is an honor to serve and that we should be zealous knowing that that we're serving the Lord. So we must rejoice in the blessing of getting to serve as elders of the church. And when we do so, we must do so with a particular attitude, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, lording it over someone. You need to obey me. I'm an elder of the church. I can do whatever I want. I'm an elder of the church. Those words should never come out of the mouths of those whom God has set over the people of God. God's people should honor, should honor, Serve should obey the Lord, and our calling is to lead them to that. And so Jesus, when he heard his disciples talking about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, he says, "You know the, the, the leaders of the Gentiles lorded over one another; they exercise that that influence of power, but not so among you. The greatest among you shall be the least." And the one who leads as the one who serves. And then to show them what that meant, he took off his outer garment. He tied a towel around his waist and he began doing the lowliest task of any servant. He began washing their feet. And he said, as what, you, what you have seen me do, this you must do. Brothers, I've said it before, but if you can't serve in the nursery and change diapers, you shouldn't be an elder. Because we of all people ought to be the ones who are willing to serve. And as we do so, we give the people of God the greatest lesson they could ever see, that they could ever receive. Because they see Christ in us. They see the love and the mercy and the selflessness of Christ. They learn not just by the words that we speak, but by the example that they set before, that we set before them. And if we do that, the Lord says... When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. What an honor. But notice, it's not an honor that is unique. James 1, God promises all who trust in Him that they will receive the crown of life. 1 Corinthians 9, the crown given to Christians will be imperishable. 2 Timothy 4, it will be given to all who long for Christ's coming. So that, that imperishable crown is not unique to the elders, but it comes with the unique significance that we have been given the authority to lead. And so the chief leader gives us a crown that symbolizes leadership, that symbolizes his authority, which we faithfully have exercised on his behalf. What an honor that is for all who exercise selfless supervision that reflects the chief shepherd Jesus. However, the church is not only its leaders. To hear some folks talk, you might think it is. They carefully catalog all that's wrong with the church, every area in which the church is lacking, and then they say, you know, it's, it's those elders. They're just not doing this and they need to be doing that. It's all about the elders, what the elders need to do. However, What they fail to recognize is that all of the members of the church have a calling. All of the members of the church are responsible for its well-being. And like the role of the elders, the role of the members at large requires imitating our selfless shepherd. And so that's our other point. He commands the sheep to emulate the selfless example of the under-shepherds. Now just, just a brief word about the brevity of this section. Kind of seems unfair, right? The elders get four verses and we only get one, the rest of us. But understand that the elder's office is unique. If the elders don't fulfill their calling, if the elders neglect their work, the rest of the church will suffer. And so the Lord attends carefully to their work and to the temptations that come with it. But the rest of us, our duties are important, but they're fairly straightforward to understand. It only takes one verse to explain it. It takes a lifetime to master it. It really comes down to two commands. First of all, submit yourselves to your elders. To submit means to acknowledge the authority of those over us. And that's more than just admitting that the elders do in fact have authority. True submission involves honoring those whom God sets over us as those sent by God. Young people understand that. When those elders come over for a family visit, they're men who are sent to your house by God himself. They come with the authority of the word that God spoke for you. And when they speak to you and they apply that word to you and they challenge you, they're not trying to be jerks. They're not trying to get you to honor them. No, they're trying to get you to honor God, to love God, to serve God in the way that He has commanded. So honor them for the sake of the work that has been entrusted to them, for the sake of the work that God is using them for. That means patiently attending to those elders, listening to what they have to say, really pondering it. When the elders teach you in catechism class, Don't take that lightly. That's the instruction of God for you. It's not just a hoop you have to jump through. It's something that's important that God is applying to your life. So take it up. Consider it. Ponder it. And then insofar as whatever they say is in accord with God's word, obey. Do what they say because it's not them who's speaking. It's God's word. And that means respecting them too in your heart. Don't be content just to speak respectfully to them. But cultivate a love for your elders. You know how you do that? Pray for them. Recognize that those elders, they have to go on visits that they don't want to go on because they have to go on a visit to somebody who's living in sin who doesn't want them to visit in order to tell that person what that person doesn't want to hear. And that's hard. And they have to go on a visit to somebody that that they know is smart and is gonna bring up arguments and questions that are gonna be hard for them to answer and they're afraid. And they've got people that never attend church and they know very little about them but they know they have to go and they have to impress upon them the importance of worshiping the Lord and growing in Him. And that is so very hard and, and they don't feel up to the task and they need therefore the equipping that God gives when you pray for them. And as you pray and you ask God to equip them and you ask God to bless their work and you ask God to prosper the church through them, you know what's going to happen? You will begin to love these men who have taken on this burden for the sake of the church. You will begin to love them and respect them and delight in their visits. But only if you pray for them, only if you lift them up before the Lord regularly. So we need to We need to submit ourselves to the elders with love from the heart. And then we also need to be submitting to one another. Be clothed with humility, says Peter. What a beautiful image of what submission involves. In order to submit, we need to be clothed with humility because what comes naturally to us is pride. What comes naturally to us is to be pretty full of ourselves. But if we're to submit to one another... That pride needs to be covered over. Think of how a a farmer, when he goes to do his chores, he covers himself over with coveralls. And all of a sudden, you can't see the clothes that are underneath. Now, he does that to protect the clothing that's underneath. We cover ourselves with humility to get rid of the clothing that is underneath, which is pride. It's only as we do that, only as we cover over our pride with humility, as we recognize How sinful we are, how broken we are, how far we are from perfection. It's only as we recognize that about ourselves. It's only as we intentionally read God's Word daily and realize how much God has forgiven us for and how far we still have to go before we reflect the character of Christ. It's only as we do that that we will be able to be humble enough to submit to one another. But oh how God loves it when we do. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus is fully God. He is co-equal with the Father. It was not robbery for Him to call Himself God because He is God. He's the one through whom all things were made. There was never a time when Jesus was not. And yet He humbled Himself to be born as a man. It's hard for us to recognize how deeply humbling that had to be. To live among a people that didn't even recognize him as their creator. To live among a people whose every thought, word, and deed was saturated with sin. People who refused to recognize the good gifts that he himself gave to them. How humbling that had to be. And not only to live among them, but to be scorned by them, mocked by them, undermined by them. And to do it all so that he could die for those very people that hated him. That's humility. And he calls us to reflect that humility toward each other. You know what that means? That means that when your neighbor says something deeply insensitive, rather than treasuring up that hurt in your heart and maybe saying something insensitive back... even though though that would, strictly speaking, be eye for an eye justice, we humbly remember how much we've been forgiven of. And how insensitive we've been in the past and how stupid we've been at times toward others. And we cover over their offense in love and refuse to dwell upon it. It means that When someone snubs us and acts as though they don't know who we are out in public, we love them anyway. It means that when your child or your grandchild says something that, that's pretty full of themselves and, and pretty offensive, maybe we tell them about their offense, but we don't do so with harshness, we do so with love encouraging them to show honor to those over them that they might learn how to honor God. In other words that we we refuse anger, we refuse wrath, we refuse vengeance and we seek to serve those around us, to love them, to care for them. That's hard. In fact, it's absolutely impossible on our own. But here's the thing, that pride that comes natural, that reflects Satan. It's the humility, it's the selflessness, it's the the dying to ourselves that reflects Christ. And therefore, that's what God delights in. Now, if our elders are doing the task that they're called to do, that's what we're going to see in them. We're going to see that humility. If you doubt it, ask your elders right now at this time of year, how many nights they spend away from home visiting with the people of God. Ask them how many hospital visits they've made. Ask them how much time they've spent studying their Bible so that they can be equipped to bring the Word of God and its encouragement to those who need it. That's humility. That's selflessness. That's love. And that's what we need to reflect We need to reflect that toward each other. That means meeting the needs of those who are in need around us. That means loving those who aren't very lovable at the time. That means going and sitting with those who are in the nursing homes that don't have anyone to sit with them and going to hospice and caring for those folks and going and and getting into the messiness of people's lives at the well or at Pathways in the midst of their struggle and their hardship when they feel like they have nowhere else to turn. And walking alongside of them. Or, or being that person who gives the phone number, gives your phone number to the person who's struggling with depression and says, you know what, it doesn't matter what time and it doesn't matter how often you call me when you're low and I'll be there for you and I'll read scripture to you and I'll help lift you up from that. That's what it means to submit to one another. That's what it means to be selfless to each other. And when we do that, they don't see us anymore. They see Christ. And that's why the Lord so loves it. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't love individualism. Because that's not what he made us for. God loves, God delights in the selfless character of his son. And he rejoices when he sees the elders of the church leading with that selfless character. And when he sees the people, the, the sheep whom he delights, in whom he delights, when he sees them taking up that selfless example as their own. So let us pray this week. Let us pray fervently that God would humble me. Don't look at the other people. Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at your kids. Don't look at your parents. Ask that God would humble me. And enable me to show the selfless character of Christ in all that I do. And God will delight to answer that prayer. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we pray, we do pray. That you would would fill us with humility. That you would give us a love for one another. That the elders, as they lead and the rest of us, all of us, as we follow their leadership and as, the, as we interact with one another, that we might do so reflecting the selflessness of Christ Himself. And Father, we pray that You would be honored as, as people see Christ shining forth through His people. And Father, we ask this as Your church, whom You have gathered together in love, In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.